that's what he's specifically referring to in that promise. So Abram is 75 years old at this point in time. Now, 75 years old during this time is different than 75 years old during this time. He was probably a little younger feeling than most 75-year-olds of this time. So the first thing that happens to Abraham, or Abram, and really one of the first trials that he, that he faces after he builds an altar to the Lord is there's a famine down in the land that he lives in, that he's in. So it says that he went down to Egypt and he went down there to stay for a while because of the famine. Well, we know that the first test that he has while he's in Egypt is he tells his wife Sarai to say she's his sister so that the king won't kill him to get his wife because apparently his wife was pretty and desirable. So this is, this is a half-truth because Sarai was his half-sister. But a half-truth is what? It's still a lie, huh? Yeah. Truth plus truth equals truth. A lie plus a lie equals a lie. And a truth plus a lie equals a lie. So he's still telling a lie. So this is a problem. And we're going to see this problem. We're going to see this problem when we deal with him tonight in uh, one of the further chapters, he makes the same exact mistake because he hasn't dealt with the problem that caused that sin. And what was, what would you say, first of all, what would you say the problem was that caused him to go down to Egypt because there was a famine? What was that problem? Yeah, lack of faith that God was going to sustain him. So he had a lack of faith there in telling Sarai to tell the king that she was his sister. What problem does that bring up? Fear. Yeah, he was afraid, wasn't he? Yeah, so he was using deception to try to protect himself. Say that again. And he caused Sarai to have to fib. Not only that, but he kind of put Sarai in a position of harm, really, because, you know, God had told Abram that he's going to make him into a na great nation, which means Sarai, somewhere along the line, has to be involved in that. And we know that through Abraham or Abram and Sarai or Abraham and Sarah, that the Savior would come. Now, if she gets involved in a situation of either fornication or adultery, well, now we got a problem because the whole path is changed. So he goes down to Egypt. Yes. I don't think he was willing to give his wife away, but he wasn't really willing to protect her like he should, was he? Yeah, so there was kind of a compromise there in his, in his heart, which wasn't good for either one of them, including the king. Now, God can turn something bad into something good. So what happens? Well, the Pharaoh 
who took Sarai into his household finds out that Sarai's his wife and, you know, basically he kicks Abram out of Egypt. He says, leave, leave. And um, the, the interesting thing about him is that I believe that the Pharaoh gave him quite a bit of material goods to leave. So God ended up kind of working it out for the good because Abram did, you know, accumulate some material wealth, which helped sustain him for the future. So we already see in Abram's life, he's, he's got this lack of faith, and then he's got the faith, and he's got the lack of faith, and then he's got really no different than us, is it? Well, it comes right down to it. You know, if we think about these patriarchs like Abram and Moses and the rest of them, they were human just like we are, and they made mistakes just like we are, but God stuck with them, didn't he? God stuck with them, and he'll stick with us too. Now, so then Abram and Lot, his nephew, they were together, they had traveled together, and they became wealthy enough individually to where they could not stay together as a unit. So Abram's second test comes up. How is he going to deal with Lot? Lot's younger, Lot's his nephew. God has not made the promises to Lot. He made the promises to Abram. And when they had to separate, Lot chose the high, or Abram chose the high road and humbled himself before his nephew and said, listen, you choose wherever you want to go and I'll go the other direction. And of course, Lot chose what looked to, to be the best. He chose the, the um, uh, what would you call that, the, the eyes, you know, what he could see, the lust of the eyes and the, the lust of the flesh, if you will. And Abram knew at this point that whatever, it didn't make any difference what Lot chose, God was going to bless him because he had promised him. So Lot goes on his way, and Lot settles in the plains near the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, those towns were uh, inhabited by very evil pagans, uh, godless people, and um, we see that in our future here, in our future reading, we're going to see that that godlessness did rub off on Lot. Okay, we're going to see that in just maybe even tonight. So that's chapter 13. Well, in chapter 14, um, the, there's kings that go down and they fight against the king of Sodom and his, his coalition and they win, and they take the king of Sodom, they take goods, they take Lot, they take Lot's family captive. Abram gets word, his third test comes up, it's a test of courage. So the first test was a test of fervor, the fervor is faith. Will you leave your home? Will you leave your family for me? The second test was, will you trust in me for sufficiency and he failed that test he passed the first one failed the second one the third test is how are you going to deal with lot are you going to be humble or selfish 
and he passed that test with flying colors. Now we see here he's got a test of courage. He's outmanned all the way. He's only got, what, 318 men, trained men, and he's going against four uh, very well-equipped armies or clans, if you will. But he does it anyway, and he's got a, his own coalition of, of allies, and he goes down there, and he, he recaptures Lot, brings him back, and brings back the goodies and the spoils, and we're getting ready for the next test. What's the next test? Well, the next test is the king of Sodom offers Abram all of the goodies. He says, give me back the people, and you keep all the goodies. And that's a test. And Jesus faced that same test. Satan said that I have all the kingdoms of the world under my control, and I will give them to you, which I don't think he would have done. I will give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. So Jesus faced the same test here, and it's a test really of where are your priorities, okay? Are your priorities in the world? Are your priorities in the Lord? Well, so what Abram did is he says, listen, you, you keep your stuff. Whatever my coalition partners, which were unbelievers, basically, whatever they take, that's, that's your business with them, but I won't take anything from you except what we've already eaten, etc. We're not going to give that back. So this was a big test on Abram's part, and that's in chapter 14. Now, chapter 15 is where we'll start today. We'll, we'll look at it, we'll, and we'll, we'll see if we can get all the way uh, through to chapter 20, if possible. So in chapter 15, verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So this is the first uh, teaching or the first time we see a vision given in the Bible. Now, in this vision, God comes to him, and we have a direct quote. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Okay, so first of all, it's very possible that Abram was thinking maybe there's going to be some revenge taken by these kings that he has defeated in chapter 14 when he rescued Lot. And maybe he's a little worried about that. And God says, don't be worried. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. God's going to shield him against his enemies. Not only that, but I'm your great reward. So we see this is kind of a special promise to Abram. And we can apply this to ourselves, too, because, you know, we're pilgrims and strangers here on this earth, is what Hebrews says. And we're looking for a better country, a better home. We're looking toward heaven, our very great reward. So in verse 2, but Abram said, so but indicates what? A contrast, doesn't it? So God just gets finished telling him, I am your very great reward, but contrasting that, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. So God has just got finished telling him he's his great reward, and uh, Abram throws a but in there. Yeah, you said you're my great reward, but 
I still don't have an heir. I still don't have a kid. You promised me that I'd be a great nation, and I don't see no great nation yet. Right? He says, I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Well, you know, is this a lack of faith? What do you think? Is it a lack of faith, or is it just a point of reasoning with Abram? Maybe a little bit of both. That's right. He did. And we're going to see here uh, shortly that that faith is going to be recognized. But here you just kind of wonder, you know, is, is Abram doubting here? Is Abram impatient? He's probably impatient, for sure. I would probably be. You know, I mean, he's 75 years old. Several years have passed. He has no kid yet. And he's, and he's getting older and not exactly more virile. Okay, so he's wondering what's going on. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So this is a promise. Now, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he, and he, that would be the Lord, credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this isn't talking about salvation here. This is talking about faith. Abram is already believed in the Lord. I mean, obviously, he's walking with the Lord. And so what we see here is this, is that heirship, okay, or inheritance is based on sonship, right? It's based on sonship. And that is the first principle that we're going to see in this chapter. So you're not... No one is going to be your heir. No one is going to get your inheritance except your son, the ones that come out of your own body. Now, so that's very plain. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But, oh my goodness. Okay, here's another but. You know, and, and, and you, you know, you gotta, you gotta sympathize with Abraham or Abram to a point. I mean, God tells him out of the blue, I want, you, I want you to leave your country. Okay, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna show you a land I'm gonna give you. You don't see it now, but I'm gonna show it to you. And by the way, I know you're 75 years old. You're gonna have a son. And he's going to be the, the, you know, there's going to be many descendants coming from him. So Abram at this point has not really received any of these promises, has he? I know. 
So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we can identify with Abram here. We can't, we can't be too hard on him because he's still growing in the Lord just like we would be. So, but, verse 8, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Really what Abram was saying here is, Lord, will you give me some kind of a sign? What kind of sign uh, can you give me to show me that this is going to happen? Okay, fine. Now, God could have said, hey, listen, O ye man of little faith. Get your tail feathers in gear. Believe what I said. I'm talking to you directly here. What's the matter with you? No, he doesn't say that. In verse 9, it says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So we see this sacrifice is being prepared, isn't it? There's a sacrifice here that's being prepared. Uh, the heifers, the goats, the birds, etc. Now, in verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So he's going to have kind of a bad vision or a bad dream. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. Ooh. Now this is not going to be a real good news. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. That would be Egypt. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. Now, the Jews were in the land of Egypt for 430 years. Why didn't the Lord say they will be enslaved for 400 years or 430 years? Because in, for 30 years, during the time of Joseph, they were prosperous. Yeah, and they, everything was fine. It was after Joseph died and the new, the new Pharaoh didn't recognize Joseph or, or the, the qualities of, of uh, his family that they were enslaved. So, he says in verse 14, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. We are privileged to have 2020 hindsight because we know that when the last of the plagues, the death of the firstborn, happened in Egypt, Pharaoh basically ushered all of the Israelites out and he gave them gold and silver and cattle and all kinds of stuff and they did come out with great possessions so this prophecy was fulfilled you however will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure well, you can go to Exodus chapter 6, verses 16 to 26, not right now, but I mean when you're studying, 
And you can see that it was exactly in the fourth generation that they came out of the land of Egypt. Okay? Exactly. So now, what God does is God makes Abram an unconditional promise. Okay? That means that there's no conditions that Abram has to meet. Abram is going to get this promise fulfilled because God said it would be fulfilled. Now, when the sun had set, verse 17, and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And so this unconditional promise to Abram has never been completely fulfilled yet because they do not have that land yet. They have land, but they don't have as much land as God had promised them. Now, so the first thing we see is that the inheritance comes through the sonship, okay? The inheritance comes through the sonship. The next thing we see is that it comes through sacrifice, okay? It comes through sacrifice. Let me read some scriptures to you I think you'll find interesting. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, listen to what it says, Acts 14, 22. It says, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And that is reiterated in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Listen to what that says. Romans 8, 17. Now, in, let's see. Verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Where does the promise come through? It comes through the lineage, through the, the children, doesn't it? The promise to Abraham was not going to come through Eliezer, his servant. It was going to come through his child. We, being children of God, the promise comes to us through our relationship with God, through the fact that we're children of God. Listen to what it says. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, if is a first-class condition here, it's if and it's true. This could be translated since. Since we are God's children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we mun in order that we may also share in his glory. So really what this is saying is that you're going to have sufferings. There's no doubt about it. You're going to have to share in the sufferings of Christ. And you know, I, I don't I just don't know anybody that likes sufferings. 
I don't like sufferings. Nobody likes sufferings. But I want you to think about this. The Bible specifically tells us that it is by means of the sufferings that we face that God causes us to grow. Now, if you think about this for just a minute, okay, what's the first thing that happens when you're born? Well, you get smacked on the butt by a doctor. Suffering starts right away. Oh, my goodness. Then, you know, I mean, you're a baby. So the only thing you know is hunger, sleep, and yes, and the bodily functions. Yeah. And as long as all those are going good, you're a happy kid. Well, they don't all go good at the same time, do they? Well, then you get to be a toddler. What happens when you're a toddler? Well, you're learning how to walk. What happens when you're learning how to walk? You'll fall down. And sometimes you hurt yourself. And so there's suffering there. Well, and, and, you, and you, then you're an adolescent. You're in junior high. And your nose is bigger than your face. Okay? So now you're suffering because you're all screwed up hormonally and everywhere else. And you don't know the front from the back. And oh, my goodness. And, it, and have you noticed it's, it's, you're always at the bottom or the top, okay? So, so when you're, in, when you're a, a baby or a toddler, you're in the bottom in the sense that you're all taken care of. Now, okay, now you get to the point where you can walk and you're talk, man, now, now you're at the top, but you've got to go into kindergarten, not at your bottom again. Finish kindergarten, you've got to go eighth grade, up to eighth grade. You're at the top again, okay? But now you've got to go into high school. Now you're at the bottom again. You go through high school for four years. Now you're at the top again. You finish high school, you start college, you're at the bottom again. You finish college, and you're at the top again. Now you've got to get a job. You're at the bottom again, right? I mean, isn't that just the way life is? You're still there? At the top or the bottom? At the bottom, okay. So, you know, it, it says here, we have to share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Listen, folks. We have an inheritance that is unspeakable. It's really, at this point, unknowable. Because I don't think that we in our human minds have the true capability to understand what God has got in store for us. And if we knew, if we, if we even knew, let's say 10% of it or whatever, okay? When we suffered here on the earth, I'll tell you what we would do is we'd just say, Pfft. Man, this is nothing. I know, I know 10% of what God's got in store for me, and that's pretty good. And that's what faith is all about. Faith tells us, even though we can't see it, but it has been promised to us that your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man or the imagination the things that God has prepared for those who love him 
and are called according to his purpose. I've seen a lot of pretty things. And I've heard a lot of pretty things. I've got flowers blooming around my yard. You take a good look at a flower. and Oh, my goodness, the intricacy and the detail and the, the smell. How does that flower smell so good? I want to get some of that made into deodorant. You know? It's amazing. And, and when something's blooming and it starts dying out, something else starts blooming. And it'll die out, something else starts blooming. And when this thing smells here and it's done blooming, then something else starts smelling over here. And it's amazing. It's just, it's awesome. So when we think about the sufferings of this life, you know, it says in the Bible that our current sufferings are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed us in us when Christ is revealed. You see, we, and this is, this is hard to, this is hard for us to, it's hard for me to understand. We are called brothers of Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. What Christ gets as an inheritance from his father, we are joint heirs of that inheritance. That's, Phenomenal. What a gift. What an amazing gift. Well, back to our story here. So we see here that in verse 17, Genesis chapter 15, 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, the smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared, that's from God, and passed between the pieces. So the sacrifice is complete. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give. This could be uh, in, our, in our chapter 12. Here's what it says. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. You will be, everything's future. Now, he says, to your descendants, which Abram, by the way, doesn't have any right now, right? I give. Is give past, present, or future? Present tense. I'm giving it right now to your descendants that you don't have. Wow. That's a pretty powerful promise if you think about it. So, okay, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, etc., now, verse 16. So Abram has got to be encouraged through all this, I'm sure. Oh boy, it's time for a trial. Now, Sarai, Sarai, by the way, means complainer. Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant. Where did this Egyptian maidservant come from? When Egypt went down, when he went down to e Egypt. Because of the famine, Pharaoh gave him men servants, maid servants, etc. So Hagar was one of the maid servants that Pharaoh gave to Abram. She had an Egyptian maid servant named Hagar, so she said to Abram, "The Lord has kept me from having children." Blame game starts. And Sarai's not finished. 
Oh, yeah, she's just getting started. The Lord has kept me from having children. So, I guess go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This was not really unusual. I mean, for the culture of the day, this was an accepted practice, but this was not God's plan. Say that again. Well, that would be a big problem, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, okay, so that problem that you just presented, and, and the problem is this, what happens if the man is infertile, but the woman is, isn't? Well, let me read something to you, okay? I'm glad you asked that question. Romans chapter 4 tells us the answer to that. Listen to what this says, because this goes right along with our, our story. It says in Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to start in, hmm, we, I'm going to start in verse 1, Romans 4, 1. I'm going to read it to you. Now, just listen to this. Paul devoted an entire chapter to this event in Abram's life. He says this, what shall we say that Abram, Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? What's the matter? Well, the matter is the matter of faith. Does faith come through the law or does, does, um, uh, does the law bring us salvation and blessing or does faith bring us salvation and blessing? What does Abraham say in regard to this matter? Well, Paul's going to tell us. He says in verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, the law, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Abraham could boast, yeah, I kept the law and I did this, but God, he's not going to boast before God. God doesn't take boasting. It says, what does the scripture say? Well, the scripture says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Now, did his believing take some work on God's part and on his part? Yeah, it did. I mean, it wasn't like he believed and everything was just peachy keen all of a sudden. It took some work. He says this in verse 4, Now, when a man works... His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. If you work for me and I pay you, I'm not giving you a gift. I'm, I'm obligated to pay you, okay? However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Now let me ask you this. What part... 
did you play in having your sins forgiven? You acknowledged your sins, right? And God forgave you your sins. How, why, how and why did God forgive you your sins? It wasn't based on your goodness. It was based on the goodness of God, wasn't it? And it's based on the goodness of Jesus Christ. So, he says in verse 9, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? You see, we're going to see that in God's covenant he makes with Abraham or Abram, the sign of that covenant was circumcision. So the Jewish people were ordered, commanded to be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. The Gentile nations, while some did practice circumcision, but not necessarily for that for the reasons that God chose, most of the Gentile nations did not practice circumcision. So the Jews were a standout race because that was the sign of the covenant between them and God. Now, he says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? In other words, is this blessedness only for Jews or is it for Gentiles too? Under what circumstance, or excuse me, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So on the credit-debit side, debits, credits, right? Abraham was credited righteousness because of his faith. Now, it says, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? Now listen to what he says. Was it after he was circumcised or before? So far, we've gotten up to Genesis chapter 16, about verse 1. Have we seen anything in here about circumcision? No. Have we seen anything in here about Abraham's faith being credited to him for righteousness? Yes. We saw that in chapter 15. So, the question is, under what circumstances was his faith credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Well, it was before he was circumcised. Okay? So, circumcision did not have anything to do with righteousness being credited to Abraham. It had nothing to do with works. It had everything to do with faith. Now, he goes on. It was not after but before, and he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe. All meaning how many? All. All meaning Jews and Gentiles. Abraham is the father of all, including Jews and Gentiles who believe. Now, that's interesting because, so, Abraham is considered the father of faith, and we're going to see he, his faith breaks down again and again and again. Now, it says, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. 
And he is also the father of the circumcised. That's the Jewish who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, for if those who live by law are heirs, heirs of what? The inheritance, right? The promise. If they are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Why? Because if if the promise comes through works, then who is the promise dependent upon? The person doing the works. Now, if the person doing the works is perfect, then the promise can be kept. But if the person doing the works is imperfect, i.e. a sinner, then the promise cannot be kept. With Jesus Christ perfectly keeping the law, the promise was able to be kept. Save that question because I'm still on your first one. Okay, I haven't, I haven't finished yet. All right, here we go. So the question was, what happens if the man is impotent, he can't uh, have a, ch a child, okay? We're going to get to that right now. Here's what it says. So it says, for if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression, why does law bring wrath? Well, because people break the law. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed. Oh, this is so important. It may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Now, so I'm going to personalize this to you, okay? Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to you. The promise comes by faith and it's guaranteed to you. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Now, if a guarantee is backed by God, how good is the guarantee? Yeah. You know, pity the poor Christians who say you can lose your salvation because what they're saying is... I have the power within myself to negate God's promise. We don't have that power. No one can take us out of the Father's hand and no one can take us out of Jesus' hand. It's that simple. Either the promise is good and it's by faith or it's not good at all because the works, the works have to follow the faith. Okay? 
There are many so-called Christians that have good works, but they don't have faith because they don't really, they're not born again. Okay? You must be born again. That's what plants the seeds of faith in you. That faith grows. As the faith grows, the works come out. Okay? Now we're going to get to your, your point. Here we go. Now listen. So in verse um, 17, listen to this, what he says. It says, He is our father, this is speaking of Abraham, in the sight of God in whom he believed. Now he's going to specify something about God. Listen to what Paul says about God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Not only does he give life to the dead in the sense that when we die, we are resurrected into, into new life, but he also gives life in other ways. We're going to specify right here. Verse 18. Against all hope. You got that? Against not most hope. Against 75% of hope. No. Against all the hope that Abraham could muster. Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Why would we say against all hope? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact his body was as good as dead since he was a hundred, about a hundred years old. And not only that, that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yeah, so to answer your question, Abraham could not have children anymore, and neither could Sarah. They were both sexually dead. I mean, that's the only way to say it. They were both sexually dead. They were past that point of being able to have children. Now, what happens? Abraham is about 100 years old. He's 99 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. And the promise still stands. You're going to be a father of many nations. And Abram says, against all hope, facing the fact that his sexual body is dead and that her womb is barren, it says, Abraham believed God's promises. Whew. Wow. Listen to verse 20. Yet, yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he, was, what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness 
for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we share in that same faith that Abraham shared in. Abraham, you know, and, and, and this, is, this is a valid point that, uh, of how God works. God was not ready for Sarah to have a child. Why? Her womb wasn't yet barren. God was not ready for Abraham to have that promised child because at 99 years old, he was sexually dead. They had come to the end of themselves. They had come to the end of their power. When you come to the end of your power, what do you got left? God's power. You better have God's power anyway, huh? I mean, and it's a shame in a way. It's a shame in a way that we have to come to the end of our power to come to the conclusion that we need God's power. But that's the way it is. It's the impossible situation. And each one of us probably can get up here and tell us about an impossible situation in your life that it took faith to get through. My daughter, well, um, oh gosh, she, she might watch this. Um, you know, she's a great gal, beautiful, got everything going for her, right? But she was very uneducated about what was going on in the world. You should hear her talk now. She says, I tell you, I can't believe I can't believe these protesters and the damage they're doing. And, and she goes on and on. And, and I mean, you know, we have people in our world, in our country right now, people that are, have been elected to office that are saying, oh, you know, you got to let these people, you know, you know, we need to learn a lesson. We, we, yes, they're destroying things, but, you know, it's getting our attention, isn't it? No. No, that's, that's not the way we want our attention to be gotten. If you break the law, you should pay the price. It's that simple. Now, if you want to peacefully protest, okay, you're going to get my attention. If you want to violently protest, you're going to divert my attention away from what you wanted my attention to be attention to be addressed to in the first place. And that's exactly what's happened in our country, is the attention has been diverted from what was the original intent to now all the violence. And you know, Jesus himself said, in the last days it will be like it was in the days of Noah, there will be violence everywhere. This world is a very, very violent place. We're seeing, we're seeing it in our country widespread. Really, it, I would say for the first time in my lifetime, this widespread. I mean, we had Watts, you know, in Los Angeles. That was terrible. But that was basically confined to Los Angeles. And now we've got this violence everywhere. Well, sometimes... 
I, uh, I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, I can't verify it, about a store owner, and I don't even know what city it was in, but he was behind his, he was in his business, in his shop, the glass windows and everything, and he was sitting in a chair with an AK-47, and his store did not get hit. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, that's just no charge on that, okay? You can, you can edit that out if you want to. Uh, so, in chapter 16 of Genesis, did that answer your question, by the way? Okay, good. In chapter 16, verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, so she said to Abraham, Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Okay, all right. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Okay, this is a bad idea. Why? Well, because the promised child is going to come from Abram and Sarai, not from Abram and Hagar. Okay, The promise was made to Abram with Sarai as his wife. So she is impatient. She's not trusting in the Lord's timing, which is hard for us to do. Okay, right? It's hard for us to trust in the Lord's timing. I want things done now. Yesterday, if possible. And she says, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So, Abraham, or Abram must have listened, must have talked with Adam. Had a little talk with Adam before all this happened because he did the same thing that Adam did. He listened to his wife. Not that listening to your wife is a bad thing. Normally, I'd say it was a pretty good thing. Okay, In this case, it wasn't a good thing. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. <sighs> what happened to the man of the house? What happened to, hey, whoa, God made me this promise. He made you this promise. We're going to wait until the promise gets fulfilled. Instead, what does he do? Okay, I guess so. We'll give it a try. We'll, maybe we can help God. We'll help God out. That's what we'll do. Yeah. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant. What does the Bible say about being united, believer and unbeliever? No, shouldn't do it. Okay. He took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she Hagar and she conceived. When she, this is Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Her mistress would be Sarai. So do we have a case here of ha ha ha, I can get pregnant, but you can't? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, hey, maybe I'm the one where the promised child's supposed to come through and not you. Maybe, we don't know, but she despised Sarai and that caused a problem. So now we see that this mistake that Abram did in going in in not waiting for God and, and trying to circumvent God's plan 
is going to have repercussions, as it always does. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. <laughs> okay, well, Sarai blamed God for not giving her a kid. Now she's blaming Abram for <sighs> Hagar being mad at her. So Sarai needs to learn a few lessons here too, I think. She just does. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So, Abram is going to stand up, and he's going to firmly say to Sarai, Listen, Sarai, this was your idea. Don't get all mad at me. The Lord's got a plan. Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we didn't. But the Lord still has a plan in all this. The Bible tells us to love each other. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to take care of Hagar. We're going to take care of the kid. Uh-uh, that's not what he says. Here's what he says. He says, well, your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Go ahead and do with her whatever you want. Really? Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, wife of Abram. Is that what he said? No? What did he say? He said... Hagar, servant of Sarai. It's interesting that he doesn't address Hagar as wife of Abram. I'm thinking that maybe he was considering Sarai as Abram's wife and not Hagar because Hagar was not God's choice. It was Sarai and Abram's choice. Anyway, he says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. She was on her way back to Egypt is where she was going because the road to Shur is the road to Egypt. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her, the angel added. I will, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He, that would be Ishmael, will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his neighbors. And we can see that the Arabic race has been one of constant friction between each other. The only thing that they can really agree upon is how much they hate Israel. Okay? So that prophecy has definitely shown to be true. Now, verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 
That is why the well was called beer. This is a, a well of beer, by the way. Okay. I'm just kidding. You're supposed to laugh at that. It's a beer well. Thank you. It was named Bier. I'm going to pronounce it different, okay? Uh, where am I? Bier, Bear, Beer, uh, Lahai, Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So what's the point here? The point here is God sees and God hears, right? God sees and God hears. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, Hagar would serve Sarai for another 13 years. When the angel told uh, Hagar, go back to Sarai, go back to your mistress, she would serve she would serve Sarai for 13 more years. So Ishmael would be 13 years old at the time that Hagar would leave again, okay? Now, uh, you guys want to continue? We've got five minutes. You guys want to continue to 17? You guys want to quit? Right. Having kids? Yeah. Yeah. So what about it bothers you? Let me read something to you out of Galatians, okay? Um, I've got to remember where it is. Hold on. It's Galatians chapter 4, I think. Okay, so in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Listen, to, and we'll finish up on this, okay? We'll, we'll get into chapter 17 next week. Galatians 4, 21, Paul specifically tells us about Hagar and Sarah. Listen to what he says. Tell me, you who are under the law. So he's speaking to law keepers. Okay? Now, law keepers in our day would be considered... Um, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Help me, somebody. Um, legalists. Legalists. Okay, so legalism or legalists they would be considered law keepers today. Tell me, you who are under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Listen to what Paul says. 
Verse 22, chapter 4, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and the other by the free woman, that's Sarai. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the promise. These things may be taken figuratively. For the woman, women, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. What, what happened on Mount Sinai? The law, the law was given, right? One covenant is from Mount Sinai, that's the law, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. This is a quote from Isaiah 54.1. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, that's Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And we will see this in our future story that, that Ishmael uh, kind of made fun of um, Isaac, and that's the reason that S uh, Sarah wanted them gone. Okay, It says, At that time the son born in the ordinary way, that's the son of the law, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We are not born of the law or of works. We are born of the Holy Spirit. And so this story in Genesis that we just read about the two women, the two children, the descendants of the two children can be taken figuratively as the difference between the law and the children of promise. Okay? that comes through the promise. Yeah. yeah. But but the persecution is born of the law. Yeah. Which isn't love. You know, um, I've made the example several times about 
let's say that we were doing a wedding up here, okay? And you guys were in the audience. We had the husband or the, the bride and the groom, right? And so in an ordinary wedding, you know, we would, we would think, do you love your groom? Yes, I do. Do you love your, your bride? Yes, I do. Well, then, do you want to be married? Yes, we do. Okay. And then you would exchange rings and you'd be married. Can you imagine if you were under the law and you said to the, the wife or the, the bride, so will you take him to be your lawfully wedded husband? And she pulls out this list and, and, and does this and the thing just rolls down. And she says, I will if he never leaves the toilet seat up. He does this. He makes me, he makes me French toast every Saturday morning in bed. And she reels off this list of laws that he has to keep in order for her to love him. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, guess what? He's going to break one of those laws. And when he breaks one of those laws, what happens to her love? Gone. So you see, that's the difference between the law and the law of love, the law of the spirit, and the law of, of works, if you will, or the law, the law, the mosaic law. So in a way, it has to be there for us to be able to make a choice. You know, everything. Everything in our lives makes a cho- is for a choice, either for God or against God. And we're going to see that as we come into um, uh, chapter 20 with uh, Abimelech and uh, all that stuff where Abraham makes another mistake by going into this king's country and telling Sarah to say that she's his sister. And so we're, we'll see that probably next week. So next week we'll do 17 and 18 and maybe 19. Maybe, okay? Let's pray. So Father in heaven, we do thank you that we are children of the promise and that the promise comes from you and that the promise is guaranteed by your integrity. And your integrity is flawless. Therefore, the promise is flawless. Therefore, we can have faith in the, flum, the, the flawless promises of God, which is phenomenal, Lord. Thank you that we don't live by the law because none of us could keep it, Father. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And we thank you for this. Bless this Sunday service, Lord. Bless all of the church services that are going on that are speaking your truth by means of your spirit. For we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.